How many are enjoying the snow outside? <laughs> Just when you thought it was over, right? Should be more this week. Uh, we're looking uh, in the book of Esther, as we have been for the past few weeks. We're in part four now. We're looking at chapters five through seven. I hope you read it before you came, but if not, we'll do a quick little summary. But where we left off last week was Esther was making a very bold, courageous, and risky decision to go to the king and plead for the lives of her Jewish people. And so we start in a chapter five, and she goes into the king, and the king is actually happy to see her. So this is a big relief. Instead of the king being upset to see her, he's happy to see her and extends his scepter out to her to show that she's been accepted in his presence. And so Esther, instead of just blurting out everything right at the beginning and saying, help me, or help my people, she she invites the king to a banquet. And uh, the king says, okay, I'll come. But he knows that this is, you know, really not what her request is, but there's something else um, that's going on. And it's interesting to note the timing of all these events, because if Esther had given her request right away, right at that time, then I don't know how the rest of the plot would have turned out, because what happened that evening is very significant in the story. Um, So... Uh, Haman finds out as well that he was invited because Esther invites the king and Haman, right, in order to, to come to the banquet. And, but Haman, on his way home, he sees Mordecai, and this still gets him upset. This still gets him angry that Mordecai is sitting there at the king's gate, and he's not bowing down to him. And so he gets some advice from his wife, and the wife says, why don't you build something so that you could kill Mordecai and just get him out of the way. Don't wait till the 11 months are up for, you know, this edict to take place and for all the Jews to be killed. Why are you waiting for that to happen? Just take care of Mordecai. You'll be happy. Go to the banquet. Enjoy yourself, you know, with with Queen Esther. And so chapter five ends and in chapter six begins with the king having a sleepless night, right? And Some of these things that we're looking at here, they're not coincidences. I won't get into it uh, this Sunday. Maybe next Sunday we'll talk a little bit about some of the coincidences that we've seen throughout this story, which are not really coincidences, but God's hand, the, the unseen hand of God working right? But the king can't sleep. And so uh, since he can't sleep, he asks, he asks for uh, a book to be read to him, right? And it's actually the chronicles of what's happened in his kingdom. And he comes to a portion uh, in those chronicles that talks about what Mordecai did back in chapter two. Remember, we looked at that, how Mordecai discovered a plot to kill the king. And he uh, told uh, Esther about it. And Esther in turn told the king, the king found out that it was true. And so the people that were ready to assassinate the king, they were killed. And so he He's hearing this story again after many years later. He's hearing the story and he asks, well, what was done to Mordecai to honor him for, for this, this uh, thing that he did? Because at that time, the, the kings would honor people like that. And he finds out that nothing was done to Mordecai. And so while he's contemplating this and thinking this, Haman is coming early in the morning, right, to see the king. Why? Because he wants to petition the king and ask him, king, I need to kill this guy Mordecai. I need to get him out of the way. I can't wait for another 11 months for the edict to take place. I need him out of the way right now. And so Haman is enraged and he's there. And so the king, when he's hearing the story, realizes nothing has been done uh, to honor Mordecai. So then he says, who's outside in the outer court? And they say, Haman is out there. So he says, Haman, come in. And so he brings in Haman and, and the king asks Haman, what should be done for the person whom the king delights to honor? And Haman of course, can only come to one conclusion. Who is this person? 
that the king delights to honor. And the only conclusion that Haman came up with is, of course, me. Who else could it be? And so he gives this elaborate explanation, like, do this and do this and do this. We'll come back to this later on in the message. And then to Haman's utter surprise, shock, and dismay, what does the king say? Okay, go and do that to Mordecai. <laughs> to who? Say that again, king. To who? To Mordecai, the Jew. And Haman's heart sinks, right? Because the person that he wanted to eliminate, the person he wanted to kill, now he has to be the one to honor him, right? And his heart sinks there. And this is the beginning of the fall of Haman. And so then we get to chapter 7, and we come to the second banquet that Esther has, right? So what happened in the first banquet, Esther, has, Esther first goes to the king and says, King, I want to invite you to a banquet. The king knows that's really not her request, but he goes to the banquet. Then at the banquet, he says, Esther, tell me, what is your request? And Esther says, can you come to another banquet the next day? And so the king says, okay, but tell me what your request is. And so she says, in the, second, in the next banquet, I'll tell you. And so at the second banquet, Esther tells the king this. And by this time, what's happened? The king now know, remembers the story of Mordecai helping him. The king now knows that if Esther had given the story or given the whole explanation the first time that she went, the king would not have remembered everything that happened with Mordecai saving his life. But because she waited, because of her patience, now in the second banquet, the king knows, remembers the story of Mordecai, what Mordecai did to help, uh, to help um, him. And so she explains this whole thing, and the king is so upset because Esther's life is in danger, her people's life is in danger, and the king storms out so angry. Haman goes to Esther and begs for his life from Esther, and the king comes back, and the, the, the picture there is not really good. It looks like to the king that Haman might be trying to assault the queen, and, and the king gets so angry again at Haman, and finally Haman is killed. And we end chapter 7 like that, where Haman dies, right? And that's, the, that's where we'll stop for, for today from chapters 5 to 7. Please remember to read chapters 8 to 10 for next week, okay? As we conclude our series next week, titled, Let the Celebration Begin. So we're going to celebrate something next week. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, speaking about the things of the children of Israel and their journey of the children of Israel, the apostle says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And I believe this story here, what we want to look at through the word of God this morning is to help us to keep our hearts from evil things as well as we learn a little bit from this story of Haman and Mordecai. So let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this beautiful story of Esther. And as we look at it today, I just pray, Lord, that our hearts would be opened and that we would understand from your word what you want to speak to us. Thank you, Lord God, for the beauty of your presence helping us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there, there's so many things in, this chap, in these chapters that we can look at, and it's impossible to address all of them in, in one message on a Sunday morning. We, we see the patience of Esther. Uh, we see the role of Haman's wife as well. Uh, we see the providence of God, all of these different things. But what I just want to focus on and concentrate on is I've titled the message, um, the title of the message is, now it's missing, Pride, uh, Pride goes before a fall, right? And so I've titled that message just because I want to concentrate and focus a little bit on the issue of pride. And here Haman actually is the best example, I would say, or one of the best examples 
of a truth that's often repeated in the New Testament in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. It's not just found here, but it's found in other places. You might be familiar with it. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we see this beautifully portrayed in the, excuse me, in the life of Haman and Mordecai. We see this beautiful, amazing portrayal here of how someone who tries to push themselves forward, someone who tries to exalt themselves ends up being humbled. We see somebody else that actually ends up being exalted. And this, this, this issue of pride, I think, is something that all of us deal with. It's something that we all have to address. C.S. Lewis calls it the great sin. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine call it the essence of all sin. Martin Luther calls it, he said, pride is the, the head, life, and very nature of all sin. And so some of these uh, the, the, to address the issue of pride is to address something that's very uh, rudimentary to our very nature and what causes us to stray away from the Lord. And so I just want to look at three things in, the, in these three chapters of what we can learn about what pride can do to our lives. Number one, pride is blinding and it's deceptive, right? Pride is blinding and it's deceptive. When Esther invited the king and Haman to the banquet, Right? This was actually eventually going to lead to the downfall of Haman, but Haman had no idea what was coming. He thought that because of his position, because of his status, because he was the second man to the king, he thought because of all of that, look, I am the only other person invited to come to see the king and queen. And he thought so much of him, but he was totally blinded to what was actually going on. In Esther chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, that, and that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. He was thinking, he was totally blinded from everything that was happening because of his pride. He didn't realize that this is what's going to actually lead to his downfall. And so many times we ourselves also lose perspective of our own lives. Many times we see situations and circumstances and our pride blinds us to what's really going on around us. Many times we just see ourselves and we look at our own goodness, we see our own works, we see our, the things that we can do, and we're so blind to the way that other people are actually perceiving us, like Haman in this situation. You know, there's a story of a ship captain, uh, and he was looking out one night in, from his ship, and he saw a light in the distance, and so he signaled to his signalman to send a message um, to that other light that was there, and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. And he received a reply. The reply was, alter your course 10 degrees north. And so the captain was so upset and he sent another message and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I'm the captain. And he received another reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm seaman third class Jones. The captain sent a final message and he said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The reply was, Alter your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> See, the captain was so blinded to his, own, to his circumstances and his surroundings. He thought, I'm a battleship. I'm the captain. I give the orders around here. He didn't realize he was running right into a lighthouse. He needed a change path. And so many times that can happen to us as well. And it's what happened to Haman. He totally lost focus of the whole situation. He just saw his own goodness. He saw his own wealth, his power, his position. And it all went to his head. And when the king asked him, later on in chapter 6, when the king asked him, what should be done for the person whom the king delights to honor, 
What was Haman thinking? He wasn't thinking about anybody else. His thoughts and focus came just upon himself. That's why in Esther 6 verse 6 it says, When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than moi? Me. Of course he'd want to honor me. Well, Haman was in for a rude awakening. And because of pride, he came to the conclusion that there'd be nobody else that would deserve honor more than him. Are we like that sometimes? We just lose focus of the whole situation around us because we're just so self-centered and we just think about ourselves. We don't think about anything else. We're blinded. Pride has blinded us. Pride has deceived us to thinking that we are the center of the universe and everything needs to revolve around us. That was the situation that Haman was in. Pride is so deceptive. Because many times we don't know that we're proud. That's why we need others to point, that to point that out to us. You know, if you're stealing, you know you're stealing. If you're cheating, you know you're cheating. If you're doing some type of other sin, you know you're doing that. But if you're proud, many times you can't see it yourself. And so we need other people to point it out to us because pride is blinding. And that's what happened in Haman's case. He needed somebody to point it out to him. And to say, Haman, you're blind with pride. Sadly, his wife encouraged him the opposite way. But then when things started to go downhill, she switched sides, right? First she was on Haman's side. I said, yeah, build this whole, you know, this gallow or this pole and you can kill Mordecai. Then when she saw that Haman was falling down and coming down, 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 then she says, hey, listen, Haman, if you started to fall before Mordecai, that's it. That's the end of you. But it was too late. And I think we all need to have people in our lives that are willing to speak to us the truth that can see into our lives and see how we are. Because again, in, it, with other sins, we can see and we know that we're actually committing a sin. We know that we're doing wrong in the sight of God. But many times with pride, because it's blinding, because it's so deceptive, we need the help of others to be able to point that out in our lives. And it's hard because it's humbling, but we're proud. So how does that work? So we need God's grace, right? Even now you're probably thinking, oh, this message would be good for somebody else. I remember oh, this person, I need, to, I need to send the link of this message to so-and-so for them to listen to it. Why? Because pride is so blinding. We're, we have to think about ourselves. Don't be like Haman this morning and think, yeah, for that person and that person. But let's look at ourselves. I'm preaching to myself as well this morning. So let's take a break from thinking about other people. And let's think about ourselves. C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, I'm going to give a few quotes from him. He writes a lot about pride as the great sin. I encourage you to read a little bit more from his book, Mere Christianity. But he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. The complete anti-God state of mind. Number two, pride is deadly. We can't underestimate the effect and work of pride in our life. Pride is deadly. And we see the end result in these chapters as we come to the end of chapter seven. What happens? Haman is killed. That's the end result of his pride in this story. And pride is deadly. We see in Acts chapter 12, we read about King Herod. King Herod, one day, he, he stood up to give a speech, and he was giving this big speech, and people said, oh, such an amazing speech, the voice of a God. And what happened? The Bible says he didn't give glory to God, and God struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died because his heart was lifted up with pride. 
Esther 3 and verse 5 at the beginning. This was the beginning. We're going a few chapters earlier, but in 3 verse 5 says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. The start of his pride was here. Haman didn't want to just kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill all the people there. But it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's ironic that Haman ends up dying the same way that he wanted to actually kill Mordecai. Right? Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Pride is deadly. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Right? That's, a, that's a hard word that's used here. Pride goes before destruction. Now, in our lives, it might not be something that's actually like a physical death, but pride can ruin relationships. How many know that? Pride can ruin relationships one with another. In a marriage relationship, pride can can ruin that marriage because neither person is willing to humble themselves and sacrifice. Pride can ruin relationships between parents and children, between uncles and aunts, between cousins, between relationships. Pride can ruin those things because we're not willing to humble ourselves and maybe ask for forgiveness. We're not willing to humble ourselves and yield to others. Pride can lead to us missing opportunities that God has for us. Pride can hinder us in our spiritual walk. In another place in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, for pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. He compares it to cancer that just eats up and eats away. That's how serious pride is, how deadly pride is. James says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Two weeks ago when we were looking, uh, we were looking at the battle between good and evil, uh, we saw how that extended from the time of the fall of man throughout the history of Israel between Israel and the Amalekites and then now coming down to Haman and the Jewish people as Haman being an Agagite. And we see the same contrast between pride and humility when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and how the devil tempted, uh, tempted Eve by telling her, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Such a tempting offer. You will be like God. Oh, I want that. Let me be like God. Right? And we see that it extends all the way there. And, the, and this, 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 this struggle between pride and humility. And Jesus came, of course, to give us life and to model for us the beautiful life of humility. St. Augustine said that pride is the beginning of sin. The beginning of sin. In the book of Daniel, we read uh, about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, this king Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says his heart was lifted up with pride because of his vast kingdom and all that he accomplished. And he thought, look at what I've done and look at what I've accomplished. And the Bible says that he became crazy and he was out like the animals and he lost his mind because, and he was stripped of his glory, stripped of his kingdom because his heart was lifted up with pride. Daniel 5 verse uh, 20 says, but when his heart, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar, became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. All of Haman's plans came to nothing, even though he had all the power in the kingdom, because of his pride. God's plans prevailed. We, we, we see a reversal of these roles. One thing that I'd like to touch as well when we, when we talk about how pride is so deadly is that there's a religious pride that we might have that's also very deadly. 
You know, coming to religion or, or, or coming to a, an institution of religion maybe might help us with things of stealing and killing. We might say, because I'm a religious person, I'm not going to do those sort of things. But do you know what it does for pride? It just fuels pride. It'll just make pride even greater and bigger. And so we need to be careful that it doesn't make us worse. And that's why we need Christ and model our life after him, the example that he gives to us. See, Haman, when he went to the king, I believe Haman wanted the ultimate affirmation. Even though he had all of these other things in his life, there was still something wanting in his life. And when he went to the king, I I believe he wanted that ultimate affirmation from the king. That's why he he gave this elaborate plan to the king. Who, Who else would the king want to honor but me? And he wanted that affirmation. And many times in our life, we look for that affirmation as well. We look for that affirmation from our parents, maybe from teachers, maybe from someone that we admire, maybe from a relative. We all look for that type of affirmation, but in Haman's case, he didn't find it from whom he he really wanted it. But I believe in our lives, even if we might not find it from the people that we're looking uh, looking, uh, for it from, we can find that affirmation in Jesus. We can find that affirmation to know that we are the sons and daughters of God. We can find that affirmation in Christ to know that we are children of the King and that he's planning beautifully for our lives and that there's something beautiful in eternity he's planning for us as well. In John 17, verse 24, Jesus here praying says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. This is what God wants for us. This is this ultimate affirmation that Christ gives to us that we can spend the rest of eternity with Jesus to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And this is the kind of affirmation that maybe we're looking for and Christ gives that to us. And so instead of seeking affirmation from other places, and again, there's, it's, a, it's a natural thing that we want, those things is not necessarily wrong, but this ultimate affirmation that we can receive is from Christ to know that we are his children. Number three, pride is never satisfied. Pride is never satisfied. Haman had everything you could ask for. He was second only to the king, right? He had wealth, he had fame, he had success, but that was not enough for him. And so in Esther 5 and verses 11 and 12 says, Haman boasted to them, speaking about boasting to his family, he said about his, his vast wealth, his many sons and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. And so there was this, this, this great boasting of Haman. But there was one thing that was bothering Haman. And we know who that was. That was our friend Mordecai. And in verse 13 it says, but this is the next verse, it says, but all this gives me no satisfaction. All this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. He had wealth, he had fame, he had everything, he had so many sons, he had such a great position, he was second only to the king throughout all that vast empire, but he says, all of this does not satisfy me because of Mordecai. Does it make any sense? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. Haman, you have everything you need. What's one man Why is one man going to cause you to just forget about all the good things that you have and just think about that? It's because of pride. 
Pride is never satisfied. We could have everything that one could think for or look for, but if there's one thing that we're missing, then pride gets in the way. How about us? How do we look at our lives? Do we see the cup half empty or half full? Do we see how God has blessed us, enriched us, provided for us? Or do we compare ourselves with other people? I'll read you another portion from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. He says, Now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say, that, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. Now look what Lewis says here. He says, they are proud of being richer, cleverer, or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud of. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. It's interesting. Mordecai, uh, Haman had all of these riches, all this wealth, everything that he could desire, but he didn't have that one thing, and pride got in the way. How about for us? Is there always this competition with others? As the saying, keeping up with the Joneses, well, Jones has this, I need that too, right? There's a story of a salesman who had great success going door-to-door selling things. This was way back before the days of Amazon, right? (laughs) Going door-to-door selling things. And you know what his catch line was to get somebody to buy something? He would go to the person, he would say, let me show you something that several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. (laughs) And with that line, he had them ready to buy. I'll show those neighbors. You don't think I can afford that? Let me buy that. I will buy it. I'll show the rest of my neighbors. Because pride gets in the way like that. See, later in the story, when, when Haman goes to ask the king to kill Mordecai, and the tables are turned, and the king asks, what should I do for the man I want to honor? Haman only thinks of himself. And if you look at the portion there, do you know what Haman asks for? Remember, he's thinking about himself when he tells the king what to do. So what does he tell the king? He says, let the king take his royal robe and put it on him, on that person. Let that person ride the king's horse through the streets of the city. Who's Haman thinking about? Himself. The only thing that Haman didn't have, aside from this whole issue with Mordecai, was to be king. And so when the king asked him, what should be done for the person whom I want to uh, honor? Haman, thinking about himself, thinks, oh, I want to have the king's robe. I want to ride the king's horse. Maybe Haman, you know, Haman answered so quickly and so readily. Maybe Haman has had this fantasy before already. Maybe he's played this thing out in his mind already. Maybe that desire, he was second to the king. But pride wanted to be maybe even the king. Are we like that as well? You know, there's a story in the New Testament about the mother of James and John. She came to uh, Jesus and said, Jesus, can I, I just want, I have one tiny little request. That's a tiny little request, Jesus. Can you get James and John to sit on your right and on your left hand? And Jesus said, I can't do that. That's up to my father. But he used that opportunity to teach. And in Mark chapter 10, he said, 
He used the opportunity to teach all the other disciples. Because when the other disciples found out their request, they were so upset and says, how can they ask for that? And Jesus said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, let me connect this back to one of the themes that we've been talking about from, even from part one of this series. It's the theme of self-sacrifice. And here it says, if you want to be great in your kingdom, you must be the servant of all. It's this idea of self-sacrifice to lay down your life. You know, Christ offers for us this opportunity to be great in his kingdom as we surrender to him. Revelation 3 verse 21, speaking about the church in Laodicea, Jesus promises to those that are, are victorious, those that overcome, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. What a glorious opportunity. But we can't go about it in the proud way like Haman went about it. Haman might have wanted to become king, and that's why he had these ideas of, give me the royal robe. Let me sit on the king's horse. Let everyone see that I'm next in line. No, but through humility. That's how we'll come there. Because in Matthew chapter 18, it says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is what? The greatest, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pride is never satisfied. And we have to be careful in our lives as well. Because many times we can overlook the blessings of God. Many times we can overlook the goodness of God. Many times we can overlook what God is doing in our lives because of the pride of our heart that's blinded us, that's deceived us, that's deadly, but is also never satisfied. Never satisfied. The humble person is, is someone who is not concentrated on himself or herself, but looks to the needs of others. They don't do things for their self-satisfaction, but for the satisfaction of others. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think one solution to pride is self-sacrifice. I think one solution to pride, in the context of what we see here in the book of Esther, and in the context of what we see here in, the book, in Philippians, It's not to look to our own needs, but do what? Look to the needs of others. I believe if we live that sacrificial life, that will help us to put on the humility of Christ. It'll help us to live in a humble way. The singers and musicians can come. Just tell you a story in closing. It's the story of the crow. The crow, he was absolutely satisfied with his life. But one day he saw a swan, which was a nice white swan. And the crow thought, the swan is so white and I am so black, so the swan must be the happiest bird ever. So he flew over to the swan and he, and he told the swan this. And the swan said, well, I was feeling pretty good about myself until I saw the parrot. The parrot has two colors. And so the crow, he flew over to the parrot and, the, and said, parrot, you must be the happiest bird of all. And the parrot said, well, I was feeling pretty good about myself until I saw the peacock that's in the zoo. And the peacock has so many colors. 
And so the, the crow flew over to the peacock. And the, the, the crow told the peacock, you must be the happiest bird with all of your colors. And the peacock said, you know what, well, I was thinking I was, I was pretty beautiful. And so many people were coming to look at me and admire me because of all my many colors. But I'm trapped in this zoo. And I saw you flying above. And I thought, that crow must be the happiest bird ever. Because he can roam free. And I'm stuck here in the zoo. You know, so many times we compare ourselves with other people, but we should follow the example of Jesus who humbled himself and gave us an example to follow. So let's sing to the Lord as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table today.